0: All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and welcoming a special guest this week, Victoria Tran. How are you doing, Victoria?
1: Hello. I'm good. Um, It is warm in Montreal, and I'm happy about that.
0: (laughs) Perfect. So this is the part of the podcast where I ask the guests, such as yourself... Uh, To introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers out there of who you are, where you're from, where you're heading.
1: All right. Yeah. So, hi, I'm Victoria Tran. I'm the communications director at Kit Fox Games. Uh, We're a small indie studio in Montreal, Canada, and we're making games like Boyfriend Dungeon and Lucifer Within Us. And also publishing a few games like Door Fortress and Mondo Museum. So we're doing a lot. It's a great time. Uh, But me personally, I... I'm, I'm actually from Vancouver so here in Quebec we speak a lot of French which I do none of which is unfortunate uh, but yeah I'm really involved in the games industry so far and honestly I've been writing a lot and doing some GDC talks about marketing, um, designing communities for kindness and all that kind of stuff.
0: All right, that brings today's topic to light. So I found you actually through your trending article about uh, the zero dollar marketing budget, which worked really well, in my opinion. But uh, one of the main topics I want to cover is uh, let's go ahead and start. Like, what are the main misconceptions when it comes to small teams or uh, developers when it comes to marketing?
1: I think... Well, so far, honestly, the biggest... Mis- I mean, okay, there's two, actually. There's two biggest misconceptions. First is that you don't need it and that, you know, just a good game uh, by itself will somehow magically spread... Uh, and you don't need to put any work behind it. And I think that misconception comes comes a lot because people usually only see, you know, the big viral hits. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, Under the Tail did well. Or, of course, Stardew Valley did well. And they don't really hear about all of the press work that went behind it or all of the team's work that went behind it. Uh, and also that I so I call it zero. My post zero dollar marketing was kind of a clickbait title because it's not like there's any such thing as zero dollar marketing because for example um i do all the marketing for kitfox but that doesn't mean i don't get paid a salary uh so it's one of those things that people don't account for very much and then suddenly you know they're like in debt and they're spending all this marketing money they don't know why or how because they didn't plan for it properly
0: Mm -hmm. and what what are the uh general because marketing is something especially for smaller teams Mm -hmm we think of last uh, i think only recently mm-hmm. teams are starting to realize that we should kind of budget for that and uh <laughs> a lot of people are very surprised and but when thinking in retrospect that you should kind of save half your budget f- towards marketing people are kind of blown away with that which makes sense because that's what the bigger guys are doing right so when it comes to uh awareness right it's something that you talk extensively about Um, you kind of mentioned within the article that that is usually the first and only step that a lot of developers think about when it comes to, uh, giving attention to their product. Can you kind of expand on that and why that is a mistake?
1: Yeah. So I'm in the awareness phase. That's the thing where I'm referencing something that's called the modern buyer's journey. And it's, at first it used to be like this, Like chain that just went down naturally, but it's actually more of like a circle, Uh, and it's basically all the steps in which someone goes through before they buy your game, when they buy your game, and then afterwards. Because you want to think about afterwards, because hopefully you'll be making another game, and you'll want them to buy that game as well, and or just be loyal fans of you, and you know, do the word of mouth thing. So a lot of people get stuck in the awareness phase. They're like, oh, I need to announce my game, have a trailer tweet about it and then they're done. They're like, okay, people know about it now, but you know, like there's, what was it last week? 170 games came out on steam. So in all that time where they first hear about your game and there's time you need to spend developing it, they forgot about it already. There's already another game coming up. I mean, Temtem's out right now and it sounds amazing and I'm excited about it. Uh, and then, you know, every, everyone forgets about it because there's always something new and exciting. So the next phase that you have to think about in kind of the circle is the consideration phase. And that's kind of when people do research and kind of keep discovering your game. Uh, So this can be anything like reviews or you taking your, your game to a convention and basically nailing down like, no, this game is still happening. It exists. It's interesting. And here's why you should really think about this game. And then throughout that time, you eventually get to the purchase phase, which is finally making them purchase the game. And again, that's through other things like big press releases, uh, streams, or an AMA. It's kind of like there's a lot of different marketing strategies throughout this thing. Uh, And you just have to find the one that works for you. And then after that, and the one that people forget about the most, I think, is kind of the post-purchase experience, which is when uh, you want people to care about your game and care about your studio uh, and make sure they're kind of fans for life afterwards.
0: Is there a particular runway uh in between these phases, like a a time frame that you feel is appropriate for each of this? Um, because that I think that's one of the biggest mystery with a lot of developers is like when do I start marketing? When is too soon? When is too too late? When do I move to the next phase before they forget about me? Uh is there like a rough estimate that you feel is like the magic formula that that seems to work for pretty much all development?
1: If there was then that would be fantastic. (laughs) Everyone would do it. But there's not. There's not because, I mean, what, we can say that a game is coming out in 2021 and then suddenly all the delays happen and then, oh shoot, now you have to think of more marketing material while you're busy actually making the game, right? Uh, So there's always going to be kind of different variables. So I don't think there's a magical timeline um, because some games have found a lot of success by doing things really slowly and it depends on your game. Like, is it coming out in early access? is it something that people can play a lot or is it like a narrative game that's easily spoiled? So that's going to determine kind of when you should announce and when you should release. Uh, And also like when are other games coming out? Will you be competing with big triple A titles for news coverage? Um, Is it the holidays where no one is really paying attention? So I can't say there's an actual timeframe, but I will say you should start thinking about marketing, like when you're researching your game and thinking of the next prototype.
0: So, uh, the hook and sentences, and like the sea of games out there, are one of the biggest problems and challenges. Let's just say challenges, right? That uh, a lot of games have when, uh, when they're talking about it, right? We're always talking about the one sentence marketing, uh, well, the the one sentence marketing sentence right uh that that helps developers kind of kind of give the message and be able to play that telephone game that people can keep talking and hopefully create the buzz Mm -hmm. what's the main problem with that thing uh i think within your article you were talking about how how a lot of this one sentence things can be exchangeable between different games because it's too generic uh do you have any key advice to kind of help change that
1: Yeah. So kind of talking about that one sentence thing, uh, a a lot of what I noticed when I was doing like games marketing and stuff is that we love gaming jargon. Like we love roguelikes. We like roguelites, like Metroidvanias. Um, You know, like all those things that to us kind of make sense, sort of. I still don't really know what a Metroidvania is if I'm being like a thousand percent honest. But it's a lot of the things where it's like if someone who isn't in game development were to read that, they would have would have kind of no idea what that meant or it would mean nothing to them Um, and other things. So I think the example I gave was like if you could put so in a sentence, so blank is a fast paced 2D action adventure with challenging combat, a rich story and gorgeous art. Um, You could put any number of games in that and it would completely make sense still. Right. So Boyfriend Dungeon, Hollow Knight, Dead Cells, The Messenger, they're all games that fit into that blank because it's such a generic sounding name. Um, And one of the ways that you can combat this is actually is to remove your game name from the sentence or hook that you've made um, and put in a competitor's name. If it basically sounds indistinguishable, then it probably means that you need to make uh, a better hook. And it's one of those things where I try to also describe my game without using any of the gaming jargon that we have. So things like story-driven, puzzle, narrative, mystery, action, Metroidvania, roguelike. Um, If you can describe your game in as simple terms as possible um, and make it easy enough for a non-gamer to understand and kind of create a feeling of excitement still, then you have a much better hook. Uh,
0: One of the other things that you... um... Hopefully, can kind of lend some knowledge for is the like the, the minimum amount of uh energy that a developer should put into marketing. Obviously, the best route, if you have the budget, if you are planning correctly, mm-hmm. you should have a professional such as yourself kind of handling that. But what do you feel a developer just to be uh just, just to have some kind of uh giving? into the process and not be completely blank, walk into the table and, and just say, here you go, you know, just figure it out and tell me back and come back with some strategy. Like how involved you would, would you advise developers to be before they even approach a marketing department uh, to handle their games?
1: I mean, I think every game developer has their own comfort level with marketing. Um, and I honestly highly encourage everyone to do their own marketing so they can Honestly, know how to pitch their game and figure it out really well, and have a marketing person come in and help them out with that, and you know, kind of tweak the pitch. Uh, You can be as involved as you want. I think it's always more exciting and fun and better for the marketer if you were to be involved in the process and give feedback. And but ultimately, you know, trust the marketer knows what they're doing, and you don't need to micromanage them or anything. But it's one of those things where we, you're excited about your game for a very special reason. And the more you tell us about that and the more you communicate that with us, the better we can align your message with uh, basically the consumers, I guess, is the way we would put it.
0: And speaking of just uh, micromanaging or developers kind of just really trying to overwrite your input, Uh, I I find that a lot when it comes to talking to developers (laughs) because I'm sure Mm -hmm. that's annoying on your side, but what, what are the main problems that you see that developers just don't understand and it just takes a while to kind of wrangle them and kind of set them in the right direction?
1: Probably. So it's, it's so basically game developers and I mean, look, we're all game developers. It's fine. We all love it. uh, Is that they, so you, when you work on a game for years and for hours and for most of your life, you stop losing, you stop seeing what's particularly exciting about it from the outside. Um, Or, you know, you get sick of it, you're tired, you're burnt out, hopefully you're not crunching, hint, hint, wink, wink, Um, but... When you're working on something for so long, it can be really difficult to see what's exciting about it. And when a marketer comes in and says, oh, this is really exciting, you're like, no, it's definitely this other really complicated mechanic that people don't actually care about. Um, I think I was talking to the community uh, developer at No More Robots, and she was telling me that at first, they were marketing Descenders, which is like a bike riding game, I guess. Obviously, I haven't pitched their game before. and basically they were say, they were saying it's a procedurally generated biking experience and you can do all these like crazy things. And it's and that's what they thought was really fun about it. But when they showed it at conventions and stuff and to different people, they discovered, oh no, what actually people found exciting about it was that they just wanted to ride downhill really fast. And that was it. That was like the main pull of it. Not like the procedural generation, not anything else. It was just that part. So I think when game developers are talking to marketers about stuff. It's to understand that as cool as the thing you're working on is, there's probably some other aspect that you're missing.
0: And when talking to these developers about, um, well, I mean, Tunnel Vision is very real thing, right? Especially when they're involved mm-hmm. with the project and they feel like, oh, well, this is the best thing about our game. And getting that outside perspective, like you mentioned, is always the best way to kind of approach new a new audience right it's more authentic um i kind of want to circle back to also i'm sure you you, you've been plenty involved with projects that have been financed but also have you been involved with the pitching part of it as well the the before process and how differently that could be
1: no i didn't like have i pitched a project
0: well just helping a team kind of like finding the hook before the financing you know it's great once they get like the Mm -hmm. financial stuff in there but like the before is just as Mm -hmm. important it's like kind of circling in on what's the essence of your game
1: Mm -hmm. ish so it's kind of i've been slightly involved with kind of both ends i would say probably more in the latter half but when you're creating like the hook for your game and finding out what's interesting about it, you're hopefully doing a lot of market research beforehand, right? So you're checking out your competitors, you're seeing what they're saying, you're seeing which ones were successful, but also which ones weren't, and seeing like you know what kind of hooks and descriptions were used, and if they were successful, why? If not, why not? Um, the pricing, uh, the kind of gap in the market space. That you could occupy yourself, and also doing like the strengths, uh, weaknesses, the SWOT thing. Mm-hmm. That's very that's very technical marketing, but yeah, this the SWOT analysis if uh, you can do that, and seeing basically um, how your game fits into the ecosystem, because there are so many games out there, as we said. And it's not necessarily something where you have to create this entirely new unique game concept, because I think that's almost impossible now. Uh, But you basically need to be able to talk about your game like it is the most unique thing in the world. It doesn't actually need to be unique. You just need to convince other people that it is.
0: Mm -hmm. The reason why I'm asking about this is because I've been very interested in the before process of uh, developing game and uh, have always been... Uh, thinking about how marketing can be a pivotal part at the beginning process, just seeing if the game is going to be even viable in a couple years, the uh, relativity of it, um, mm-hmm. like how much does statistics play into developing <laughs> or pitching a new game? Like where someone's like, "Hey, I'm going to do a sci-fi AI," kind of takes over and plays against you it's like you know that's been done before and at least in two years just looking at the entertainment landscape uh, through movies books or whatever people are going to be worn out by the time this game is coming out like how have you been uh uh, have you come across those type of situations where you're going to like have to backpedal or or at least think out or within yourself like that's not a good idea (laughs) because of this the statistic portion of it yeah Mm Hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's such a difficult question to answer because there's so many variables in it. Um, And I think it's also sort of, it's part marketing, part business strategy, which is not really my field of expertise. But I will say that when we were dreaming up Boyfriend Dungeon, let's say, um, so our captain, Tanya X Short, uh, she was doing some market research for that and also figuring out the business strategy and kind of the viability of the product. And at the time, the most like, popular dating sims, let's say, were Hadoful Boyfriend and Honeypot, um, which are two very different things. <laughs> and most of the dating sims that were on Steam were like, not safe for work, 18+, and geared towards a very certain audience. So it didn't really seem like Boyfriend Dungeon was viable. Um, but it, it was that thing where there had to be... like There's definitely a gap in the market for this. And that might mean that it doesn't sell well at all. In which case we just narrow down our scope or we work on it and then we do the Kickstarter for it and we see how it goes. And the Kickstarter went really well. And a great thing also was that Dream Daddy in between some time we were uh, prototyping the game came out and Dream Daddy did really well. So that kind of indicated to us it's like, oh, there is kind of a market for this. Uh, But I can't say necessarily like the entire strategy behind it.
0: Uh, paint a picture of where Kickstarter is now because it feels like it had like a huge high in terms of uh, buzz whenever a game gets a lot of excitement and then the website and and the people over there are really helping kind of push that through but now Mm -hmm. it seems at least to me and correct me if I'm wrong it seems like at least self-driven you gotta have to bring your own audience into it and it's just literally just a platform for people to kind of you know uh, donate and and getting support again.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I'm. I think so. Yeah, Kickstarter itself hasn't been a newsworthy topic as much anymore, unless I guess you somehow raise millions and millions of dollars in like 24 hours. But. Having a Kickstarter game within itself isn't newsworthy. That's why when we were doing the Boyfriend Dungeon one, we had to pair it up with different things. So we first we announced a new trailer and it featured a, the cat, which was really weird and exciting for people. Um, we emailed press just about the trailer and not necessarily like the Kickstarter. We're like, oh, on the side look, it's also on Kickstarter. How interesting. Um, So you have to be able to kind of market it in a way that's exciting. That isn't just, hey, we're on Kickstarter now. That's it. Okay. bye. Right. So you probably have like a whole marketing strategy for this Kickstarter and you and you need to kind of keep quiet about certain things until you're ready to launch the Kickstarter in order for it to be newsworthy and to be something that people want to talk about. And there's certain projects that do well on Kickstarter. Right. So the more interesting ones like Boyfriend Dungeon, which is weird and kind of quirky like that does very well. And for other games that are more complicated or harder to kind of market at first glance, I would say maybe that's not the perfect Kickstarter game. Again, very context dependent, but that's sort of how Kickstarter works and that you want it to be very like exciting at first glance. Um, but I think Kickstarter is still a really wonderful platform for a lot of games to get funded on. I mean, Boyfriend Dungeon did super well on it, and I've seen a lot of other games do really well on it. Um, and it's just, I think people forget about how many games get funded by Kickstarter, for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I always constantly look at other mediums like the movie entertainment business and looking at the Mm -hmm. game business and how differently we use data i mean the movie business is a lot more open with how much a movie is being made how much movie uh how much money it makes because there's no way around it the theaters kind of release the numbers like day of and stuff yeah and so you're able to kind of track that and kind of guess which movies which time frame would be best for this particular uh project that you have but games don't really have that type of thing um yeah The Steam thing used to be, uh, what was it called? Steam data or something that was done through... Uh, Steam Spy? Steam Spy, yeah. Mm -hmm. Was done through a third party, but they shut that down. But that was our best kind of measure before. Um, So I'm I'm wondering with all the Kickstarter data and all the Kickstarter projects that have been greenlit, has there been a pretty good formula so far to kind of guess, like before we even start our Kickstarter campaign, the likelihood of this being a success is based on the interest that we buzzed before we even start the count off?
1: I would, I mean, sort of again, like I, I hate answers that are like, Oh, it depends, but it does depend. Um, because some people will announce their game and launch it with a Kickstarter. So they wouldn't have any like community beforehand or they wouldn't have any marketing or like, Reveal the marketing beforehand until the Kickstarter launches, uh, which was different from Boyfriend Dungeon because we had we've released other games before. I was hyping up Boyfriend Dungeon for a few months before the Kickstarter, so it was really hard to say whether or not it'll be a success. Like we we figured it would be, but we weren't sure. And I think being able to account for okay, if this game fails on Kickstarter, what are we going to do? And if it does really well on Kickstarter, what are we going to do? I think it's one of those things where you just, it's hard to say. And it again, depends on the game and how much marketing you have. If you have a dedicated marketing person um, and also the budget you're asking for.
0: Mm -hmm. And to get kind of the buzz going uh, before, during and after, uh, is it through the use of what what kind of uh, facilities are you guys using? Is it through social media? Is it a lot of interviews? Is like, there's so many outlets now. It, it can be overbearing, but I feel like mm-hmm. uh, a marketer such as yourself or you're like your industry definitely has the 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 the, the, the things stacked to to kind of go to the right places and and know how to utilize it.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of different avenues in which we try to get news and kind of just hope and sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't but one again it's really helpful that kitfox itself has made games before and we have a community from that and we have press contacts from that Um, but kind of the ways we built them is yeah so one we use social media mainly twitter and discord uh newsletter doesn't count as social media so yeah we do email marketing um we also go to a lot of conventions we do press interviews and we do interviews like whenever we can no matter what usually uh we do panels we do talks we share our knowledge we uh do trailers and yeah we and we specifically like time exclusives for press just so it becomes a more attractive thing for them to cover because when you give press something that's really exclusive then you know they're more excited about and they're more willing to talk about it versus if you've already talked about it and spilled everything before it's a little bit less exciting Um, and then we also work with streamers and influencers and all that kind of stuff and obviously uh, so much of the work is also word of mouth through our community, which are the best and I love them so much. Uh, and I think that's kind of the best marketing you can get when it's just people in your community and fans be telling their friends that, oh, this project's really cool. Or, oh, I really like the studio. You should support them. Uh, that's kind of where we built it. And it's something that takes a lot of time. It's nothing that can be rushed. Like a lot of people are like, oh, how do I immediately get Discord people in my Discord participating and being my fans for life. And I'm like, uh, it's going to take, that's going to take a while. It's going to take a hot second.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you're mentioning two social media platforms. Uh, Facebook Mm -hmm. is still one of those that I'm, I'm starting to understand that people don't, do anymore especially with the end of development never even, die right it's dead so is it officially dead where it's just like the algorithm's so whack that there's just no hope into telling anybody on there anymore what's what's your stance on that
1: well i hate facebook as you can probably tell from me like whispering it and i hope facebook's not listening and somehow does something about this but it's fine uh but anyways yeah so facebook is annoying In many ways, but one of the main reasons it's annoying to like a lot of indie developer, honestly, to developers in general, is that when you post something on Facebook, unless you pay for them to push your post, uh, they won't actually send it out to everyone who likes your page. So, uh, unlike Twitter or Discord or like literally any other social media platform, uh, when you post something, if you know your followers were to scroll back far enough or whatever, it it would eventually show up on their timeline or whatever. Uh, With Facebook, it will not show it until you pay, which is, again, not great, especially when you're an indie with a budget. Um, And I don't know if actually you've seen the stats that I think it was Epic Games put out about their social media following. And it was like, they had like a million followers on every single page except Facebook, which had like a few thousand. I mean, had more than a few thousand, but much less than millions of followers. So it's kind of those things where I think it is sort of dying and whatnot. So if it's something that you don't have time for, don't use it.
0: That's definitely what I'm seeing. Uh, We have a lot of indie developers that come on here. And whenever I ask them about what they're utilizing for social media, they just talk about Twitter and then Discord. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm I'm very behind then. (laughs) I still have a Facebook. I'm holding on to that. And, uh, but I, 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 it is one of those things that, you know, um, it's still unpredictable as a platform. It is. And it's, it's just, it, it, and it, became, it begins to kind of creep into <clears throat> my personal use too, because mm-hmm. the post is not even really being displayed as you would imagine it, which is recently, right? Uh, but this yeah. kind of leads into the next uh, phase of our topic, which uh, I kind of want to ask you about. So, uh, the way we utilize press or the way we tell about our project has changed dramatically the last three uh well five years to be honest where it Mm -hmm. used to be when you have a project getting some an article under kotaku or all these traditional press sites would be the be all end all right not so much anymore Mm. i mean it's a nice to have but it seems like the Mm -hmm. focus has been kind of prioritized with streamers or other outlets that connect directly to gamers right where Mm. where they're more likely to purchase uh, than reading an article from Kotaku. So like, oh, this is nice knowledge, but I'm not going to click on the buy now button on Amazon. Uh, What is your perspective on that being uh, so different nowadays?
1: I mean, with the event of any, I think, new kind of media form we're all still trying to figure it out. And I wouldn't necessarily say that streamers are better than press or that press is better than streamers. It depends on your game and it depends on where it works, right? So there's been a lot of times, and I've talked to a lot of community developers, where a huge streamer like with millions of followers will play their game and they're super excited because they're like, yes, we're going to get visibility, it's going to be great. And then they look in the back end and they've sold like five copies from that. So the thing is, is that some people like will watch streamers for like, yeah, the gameplay and they'll want to buy the game or they're just watching it because they like the streamer and they're not necessarily interested in actually purchasing your game, especially if it's a game that's narrative and it's spoiled and you play it once. And then what's the point of playing it again? Um, And obviously some fans are really great and, you know, they want to help support the indie devs and all that. And it's not like it's the streamer's fault. If they don't, if a fan doesn't buy the game, but it's one of those things where just because you get views or you know follower numbers, that doesn't always translate into sales, and that's what you want. You want the sales to survive and make your next game. So I think press is still really important, especially when it's like reviews. That's kind of part of the consideration phase and the purchase phase. Um, when people are looking at your game and when they want to buy your game, they're going to look up reviews about. They're going to see like, okay, like. In general, when I Google, let's say Boyfriend Dungeon is not out yet, but let's say I Google Boyfriend Dungeon and I see the score is like, oh, OK, it's like 80 percent or it's 60 percent. Like that's going to influence whether or not I decide to buy it right now or if I wait until a sale or if I decide not to buy it at all. Uh, and then. There's other things where like, yeah, if the game does change sort of every time and I see a streamer play it, I'll be like, oh, that's really exciting. Um, I'm going to watch the streamer later. I'm going to buy the game first, try it out myself. Uh, So it's really difficult to say. I think it's good to cast your net out, test what works for your game, and then track the analytics, track the stats behind that um, and kind of go with it depending on what works for your game, because it's such a, it's such a changing like landscape for games, marketing and games in general, that it's hard to nail down something. So again, use what works for you and hopefully you succeed in that.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. Like just being able to kind of use all facets because you don't know who exactly you're going to be reaching and who you're going <laughs> to be appealing to. Um, and you just have to really do your research to see what, 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 Is grabbing the most attention and it does seem like what like you said if you're able to funnel them to take that extra step to follow you through twitter or discord i mean that's a better metric than just um hoping uh that people will buy day one right um yeah aside from that though when it comes to uh spreading the word like how how effective is um oh how, how do i say this it's like how much effort what what is the main priority when it comes to like putting the word out when it, uh, in terms of like these outlets that like you're saying right again you're you're talking to press is kind of like the age old thing to do is like let's talk to the press they have this much people this many people let's get some brand awareness going uh secondly wh- like you said i i've heard many times like streamers used to be the the, um, uh, used to be the place where people are like, well, if a lot of people are watching, therefore, mathematically, this many people will buy. That's not true, right? It's completely a crapshoot mm-hmm. as well. The appeal is there, but you, have, you never know because the, the product is a lot with the streamer and not with what they're displaying. Uh, mm-hmm. The third aspect, a lot of what I've been seeing, and I kind of want to kind of get your commentary on this, is a lot of developers kind of taking it um in their own hands right they're they're doing dev mm-hmm. diaries which is really popular yeah. but a lot of what you talk about is like well if you're telling everything from day one what your game is about when it comes to ready to be announced using all these traditional precedent stuff what are you sharing exclusively uh that makes it newsworthy i mean everybody have already know exactly and there might be a chance of fatigue on your brand Mm-hmm. So what's your warning uh, when it comes to that? Just day one, just record all the topics, <laughs> let your competitors know uh, exactly how you're designing your game uh, from day one and have like this tremendous resource. Uh, like, is there a cautionary tale to that? Is there a better way to doing that and and, and not just go full out uh, detailing everything?
1: Yeah, I mean, if your game is something that can be easily spoiled, I would say maybe hold back or if you're new and it's not necessarily um, something that's, it's harder to capture the press's attention than yeah. I would keep things back. Like you can still talk about your game quite a bit. It's still going to be difficult if you're hiding things, obviously. But like, for example, um, there's Boyfriend Dungeon things that I'm really excited about, but we're probably going to save it for a trailer. Um, But I can still mention like, oh, we are revising the combat system or there will be combos or there'll be this. And then uh, maybe attach like a really vague screenshot. Or something um, but no actual gameplay let's say so it's one of those things where you kind of have to and kind of this is where you have your marketing person or your community manager come along um you need to be able to talk about your game in kind of a vague way that still is exciting and i know that's not super helpful uh when i just say it like that but there's basically you want to be able to give updates and if there's anything silly or fun that you can share definitely do that Uh, but major press beats you need to plan those you need to be like okay so the first ever time someone is going to see combat like actual combat in the game like you can have a screenshot of like a character with a sword whatever but like seeing like a character use combos and stuff that's the the first time press people will see that is during the trailer um and i'm going to send press that a week early so they have time to write about the trailer um or something like that or like oh the first ever dating scene you're ever going to get or the first ever weapon transformation people are going to see again that's safe for press because that's like a major thing that you can show and looks exciting. Well, other minor things like, ooh, um, you can customize your character. So it has pink hair is something that you can probably just share with the community. It's not necessarily something that's like newsworthy, right? So you need to be able to plan and strategically time out uh, your uh, what you're going to update people on and what you're going to give to press. And then, you know, once you give it to press, then you can announce it and use it again and again for uh, the general public, I would say.
0: So partnerships is something that I um, am always curious about, especially between indie developers. It seems like something so natural because indie developers aren't really competing with each other in a way where it's Mm. threatening. But the advantages of kind of getting smaller groups together and being able to kind of cross promote is something I feel like hasn't been done too often like i I would expect every indie studio to have like a coalition by now and be able to kind of like monthly (laughs) talk about each other's game and just really have that huge momentum behind them because these games like you said are not the traditional 60 dollar game where it's like a a life decision Mm -hmm. right when purchasing um have you seen any uh movement uh towards that have you yourself been partnering with uh, other studios, like in what ways is effective and uh, a way to, for our listeners and audience out there to consider for their own projects.
1: Yeah, I think teaming up with other indie studios is supernatural, and actually a lot of indie studios do it, just probably not, I think, in the grand scale that a lot of people are expecting, uh, because it takes time and we're all already strapped for time trying to make our actual game. But there's been instances like in our game Moon Hunters, uh, we have Mina from Battle Chef Brigade in our game, and then... Vice versa, in Battle Chef Brigade, one of our characters is in their game, and it's kind of like a cute nod towards like, oh, different indie games and friendship. And also, um, I'm in many different Discord groups or just friendly like indie groups where it's like, hey, we have an announcement coming up on this day. If you help us retweet it, that'd be really appreciated. Or hey, I'm doing a Kickstarter. Then can can you like help me signal boost it? And it's sort of those things where it's like small minor asks where it's like, hey, is it okay if you help me with this? Usually Indies say yes, or um, on like the development side, like if there's a programming question, an art question, usually people are more than happy to help. Um, and for example, like for the Boyfriend Dungeon Kickstarter, I was going to have an exclusive Discord just for Kickstarter backers, but I realized how do I get like 6,000 names into this Discord without going crazy? And I realized that the devs at Temtem... Had done it before so i emailed them randomly out of the blue and was like hey you don't know me but i kind of need help how did you do that and then they basically just gave me the bot that they used to integrate their discord uh backers with their kickstarter emails Um and it was really great and i'm super grateful for them and if they ever need help i would definitely help them for sure so it's one of those things where i think a lot of indie devs are in it together you just need to reach out and ask
0: yeah it definitely makes sense because um you know, I, I come from the uh, traditional AAA background and a lot of it from day one, we're not just thinking about the single game, but we're thinking about three games ahead. So from the foundation up, our engine's kind of built in that way so that, you know, we're saving money in the long run. A lot of indie developers don't do that. <laughs> they're kind of just... Oh yeah, off. no,
1: we're just like winging it.
0: <laughs> Are you winging it? Because it makes sense because everyone, like you said, is strapped for time. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's a trying to win it with their current project. And then if there's a second project, they're super happy. But then again, they usually restart the process. They don't kind of build Mm -hmm. on top of the, uh, well, I mean, it's shady foundation at that point. Right. So uh, I'm glad to hear that there are like movements in that way. And that like developers are able to reach out. And in my experience have always been uh, very gracious in, in lending help um i I would love to kind of just see more of that on the official label because there's no like like i said that like here here's the website if you're an indie developer here's the coalition of indie devs uh here's how you can put your project through and get everyone to blast it at the same time you know if you're respectable it can't just be everyone right um yes so this, this part is pretty important. So, we talked about, um, I, I guess we went through several phrases of going through awareness and just getting people to know. But grabbing on and engaging the community. Like, people are now on your Twitter. People are now a part of your Discord. Mm-hmm. People are now a part of your newsletter. And this is a chance to kind of keep them interested but also completely turn them away. Right? So. What Mm -hmm. is the correct way of engaging your audience without making it feel like they're reading just promotion after promotion after promotion. (laughs) And there's no, like, there's no two way street there when it comes to an exchange.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So kind of the main way that you should think about this, it's kind of like that 80, 20 rule, I guess. It's kind of the 80% you're giving something 20% you're asking for something. Uh, whether or not it's via Twitter or discord or whatever, um, if you want to have a relationship or connection with the people in your community, then you need to give them things. So you can't keep asking them like, Hey, buy my game. Hey, buy my game. Hey, it's on sale. Buy my game. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything for them. You have to uh, give them something, whether that's just like something simple, like, Hey, join the discord and we'll just chat with you. And if you have, any questions? Let us know, um, or just be there to help. Just be a friendly face in the community. Like already, that's so much of the work of building, you know, a relationship with your fan base, uh, and also things like. If you want to attract them to places like your newsletter, your Twitter, your discord, give them a reason to, right? So you need something exclusive or exciting about it. What's exciting about discord usually is that you can talk to the the developers directly and you can have a fun time with them there. Um, Or on the newsletter, you can have like, Ooh, an exclusive digital art book download and it's something just for them. And you write them updates and you tell them kind of stories within the studio that they wouldn't get elsewhere or on Twitter uh, maybe I, I'm like, oh, I can't swear. I'm not going to swear on the podcast. But you know, on Twitter, you can post really silly, stupid stuff that they can connect with and just have fun tweeting at you with. Uh, it's how you want to use it and how you market what's so special about your studio. Because every studio has something different, right? You don't need to be funny in order to be on Twitter. Um, but maybe your game has really beautiful and gorgeous art and that's what you share. Or maybe your studio does... I don't know, programming really well. And you share programming tips. It's one of those things where I think every studio has their own kind of flair. And the way you work that into your social media channels is going to make the community fall in love with you and want to support you.
0: So the last uh, few years, we've seen like a huge shift with, uh, well, I mean like not more than a few years, the digital marketplace being <laughs> a, a, a it, well, the barrier just gets removed with that, right? Now, developers can sell directly to the customers uh, using Steam. And we're seeing a lot of the um, console makers opening up that market with the digital marketplace, letting indie developers in. So, it's been a very happy place, but also invites um, kind of what we're seeing with the Apple store, right? It's just a lot of entry. You were mentioning last month, you know, we had 170 new new titles kind of
1: I think it uh, was last week.
0: Last week? That was one week. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I think if you if you follow ICO Partners uh newsletter, they I think every week they release how many games came out that week. No. Oh. And it changes, but it's usually like a hundred something.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's that's a huge amount of people releasing games on a weekly basis right i mean mm-hmm. all, all the points that you, you you were giving before are extremely helpful um but i am like i'm wondering what the next couple of years look like with uh, a lot of these uh marketplaces like the console makers in particular stadia um do you see any effect with the indie developers with that new digital workpla- uh, digital marketplace allowing subscription-based services and a chance for people who usually wouldn't click on a title to finally try it out because it's part of it? It's part of the package now.
1: Yeah. It makes me so, like, in complete honesty, uh, and I could be totally wrong about this because... Who knows? I'm sure people at Google and stuff have done a lot of business development. Um, But as an indie developer, subscription services make me very nervous. Very nervous because subscription games, like one, how are they paid? And two, like how do developers get money? Is it by how long someone has played your game? In which case it would incentivize games, like games to be made that make you like, you know, want to keep playing the game or like it will create a very different type of game, right? You know, like how many times can you play one narrative game if it's the same storyline? Like, no, you're probably going to need like a lot of action, a lot of like procedural generation, all that stuff, which is fine. But it's it's one of those things where I think it really shifts what um, kind of game you can make to be successful on subscription-based platforms. Um, and also just like when we think about things like Spotify and Netflix and all those other streaming subscription-based services, it's always like the indie people, like, you know, the indie music makers or the indie movie makers where they're like, okay, well, I made like 30 cents off of that. So that's great. Um, so it, it makes me nervous, but I, I mean, look, it's going to, the world will move on. We're either going to have to adapt or gain a really nice community. That will be loyal to you and then also still have steam and have all these other store pages that we can work with um and just see
0: no i definitely agree with you there um the the marketplaces well new marketplaces are going to always pop up but it always Mm -hmm. falls back to the marketing strategies like getting people to kind of follow your within your own community Mm -hmm. uh and have that brand awareness and loyalty to kind of Just have these places to buy it from, and not so much of relying on them. But uh, it it is something that you know I'm always curious about because as it's developing with Google Stadia, especially a lot of people early backers are already disappointed with it. I've seen a lot of those articles. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah. Like, what did I buy? He's like, well, you bought something (laughs) to buy something more, which was confusing to me. Um, But I feel like the PlayStation, the Xbox, who've been in the game no pun intended, mm-hmm. longer, <laughs> uh, has a better idea of how to treat us. So I think they will have a better handle on things. But yeah, the, the, the worry is still the same. Like how are developers being paid? It's very iffy. Um, if there is some kind of part of the equation where the hours played is how you get paid out. Yeah, that does restrict a lot of narrative-driven games that are shorter. Um, mm-hmm. So it doesn't really work on that platform. And out of all the streaming services, uh, I agree, like Netflix is probably the more upfront about things. It's like they pay you before you even go stream. They don't pay per streaming. They just pay for the project, which mm-hmm. we hope everybody does, but most don't. <laughs> <laughs> most, most do the Spotify YouTube thing where it's just like mm-hmm. per view or whatever so yeah it's a it's a scary it's scary to think that that will be a marketplace I even with all the console makers that I've named like they have their own mm-hmm. version of it but it I, I think it won't have any effect on how indie developer has an idea and be able to sell that project uh, mm-hmm. just sharing my thoughts there but uh, <laughs> So the newsletter is another thing. So like, I kind of want to compare the three different platforms here. The main three that uh, I I totally agree with you have, have been the most engaging the, um, the newsletter, the discord and Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. What are the techniques to kind of utilize each of those differently? Because each of those require a different way to kind of share or engage.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it, like I mentioned before, each social platform does a newsletter count. Newsletter doesn't count as a social platform. Each platform, um, you need to give someone a reason for joining it, uh, and then and then they'll join it or be a part of it, right? But there's obviously you're competing with a lot of different people on Discord. There, there's so many people who just join Discords and then lurk in them like me. (laughs) There's people who just follow Twitter accounts and then kind of never engage with them. There's people who sign up for newsletters and never open your email. That's going to happen. That's very normal. It's okay if you have all these people and you're like, why is no one talking or why is no one doing this? That's fine. Um, But the point is, is that you need to be able to figure out a strategy with it and figure out your goals with it. Um, I think a lot of people kind of just create a Twitter or a Discord or a newsletter and they're like, okay, people are doing this, so I'm going to do it too. And then they don't really know why it's useful or why it's special or why it's something that people want to join, right? So if you're going to have a Discord and you're not actually on it and participating and trying to make active conversation and answering questions as soon as possible um, during work hours uh, on Discord while you can, then why? be there, right? Why join this discord? Or if you're on Twitter and all you're doing is retweeting stuff and sometimes really occasionally like tweeting out a screenshot and there's nothing really happening and there's no like link or way to track the metrics to see if you're actually doing well, then why are you on Twitter? And same thing with newsletter. Like, is there why would I read your game development update over someone else's? So for an example for this is that Boyfriend Dungeons newsletter updates aren't honestly, they don't really update you much on the game's progress at all, um, but they are written like love letters. And those can get real spicy and they're really fun to write. Um, and sometimes they're just ridiculous. And it's a fun thing to have in your email inbox sometimes. Um, so it's kind of finding, again, and just like how your game has a hook, I think your social media platforms need to have their own hook and it doesn't need to be as explicit, but it needs to be something that you think about and don't just blindly do.
0: Well, thank you for that. I mean, that totally makes sense to me now that you explained, like if you don't want to be a part of it or at least engage, mm-hmm. it, why why are you asking people to do it? <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. And each of the community, like you said, has its own unique Space for it. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, people just you know joining your Discord, they want that real time activity. Uh, Twitter, they want to be aware. But, like, I think the biggest thing, like you mentioned, is that it's not necessary selling the game. I mean, by that time they're engaged, there's a certain likeness Mm -hmm. or a certain amount of uh mediums that you guys feel have a similarity to, right? And so, speaking to that. Mm can really extend the conversation past just project updates because you can do a few of those, but that can get very boring really quickly. But like, what is the essence of why we're here together? It's like, well, we like something enough to kind of conversate. Let's just expand on that. And the love letters, like you said, is like another creative way where, you know, know your audience and you're just really tailoring towards that. And uh, that totally makes sense to me. So uh, I want to thank you. We are at the hour of the podcasting. And uh, Victoria, you've been an amazing guest. And of course, you know, you're saving money in our pockets, even though it's a clickbait (laughs) title. A lot of what you're saying, totally, you can do right now without spending a cent. I I feel like that's the most common mistake a lot of developers do. They don't really utilize the full resources of what's free out there before they kind of spend a heavy dose of money. And what's worse is that, not knowing the essence of their games, the audience, they're just spending money in the wrong places anyways. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of your article kind of speaks to that and what you've been uh, talking and sharing with us today are, are tips that I, I feel like will beat Stadia, beat all these subscription <laughs> services. Like it's going to be very helpful. I
1: don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if my zero dollar marketing is going to beat the millions. Well, of I'm going to put the it's stamp on it. Right? I'll,
0: I'll put my stamp on it. Okay, and okay. Say it's going to totally beat it. Okay. So, uh, okay, this if is, you're <laughs> wrong, I'm going to be real mad. <laughs> yeah, I'll just turn off the camera at that time. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to turn the mic over to you. Uh, and so you can give attention to, a shout out, or uh, a thank you to anybody out there. The, the floor is yours.
1: Oh, well, first then, thank you for having me on. It was fun. Uh, yeah, so I guess as a little wrap up, if you're interested in any of the Kit Fox games, you can find us obviously on Twitter or Discord, um, discord.gg slash kitfoxgames or twitter.com slash Uh You can also find us on Facebook, but I just talked about how much I hated it. But if you're on there, it's fine. I won't judge you. Or sign up for a newsletter. All the links, I'm sure if you Google it, it'll be really easy to find. Um, they're all there. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, where I write about marketing things um, and sometimes occasional really silly things, I'm at the VTrend on Twitter and thank you so much it was fun
0: well thank you so much well that is the end of our podcast thank you for everyone for joining and victoria uh all the links and everything that you share will be under the podcast and video description Mm -hmm. and uh that's it that is our hour i want to thank you everybody for joining and listening and see you guys next week So thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope that you're a subscriber, but if you aren't, please feel free to follow us on any of the major
1: podcast platforms, especially iTunes or Spotify. You can find show notes and more resources available to help you become a successful game developer. Just go on over to our website, www.gamedevunchain.com. If you're interested in keeping the conversation going, then definitely come check us out in Discord, where we chat in real time for After Show Tuesdays to discuss episodes and Feedback Fridays, where we share screenshots on the projects that we're currently working on. If you go over to Patreon.com, you can support our podcast financially. And if you do so, you'll get access to Life Unchained, our on-the-pulse, unfiltered game dev gossip content that we make exclusively for our Patreon supporters. And as usual, you can keep in touch and follow our happenings on Facebook and Twitter. That's Game Dev Unchained the Podcast.